Hey, what's up, Cub fans? Welcome to episode 68 of Locked On Cubs. I'm your host, Ryan Davis of the Sporting News, CubsInsider.com, and The Athletic MLB. And soon coming to Bet Chicago, which is set to launch in a couple weeks, I think. Be doing Cubs and White Sox coverage for them. Let's keep an eye out for that. I'm bringing you this off-day version of Locked On Cubs. The Cubs will be playing today on Friday, 120 against the Chicago White Sox, kicking off the Crosstown series. If you want to hear a preview of that, my preview episode was out yesterday, so you can go back and listen to the last episode if you haven't already. I did my whole preview of the Crosstown series and why uh, I'm not thinking that the Cubs and White Sox are such a big rivalry. Never really have. Uh, I know a lot of the fans in Chicago get into, into it, but it's not a big deal to me. Uh, so I won't spend a whole lot of time on that. Tyler Chatwood starts game one uh, against Carson Fulmer. Second game on uh, Saturday will be another 120 start. John Lester against James Shields. And then uh, Sunday's game will be another 120. Kyle Hendricks against Lucas Giolito. So um, some some cool stuff. I mean, the, the White Sox have some interesting players. I'm interested to see Lucas Giolito pitch because I haven't seen him in a long time. No, he hasn't been exactly stellar on the mound. Uh, Carson Fulmer is a former first round draft pick. Haven't seen James Shields in a long time. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested to see this series. And of course, the White Sox aren't a good team. So it's another opportunity for the Cubs to, to, uh, to pick up some games if they play well. But uh, so I thought that it would be a good opportunity since Thursday's an off day to uh, record a mailbag podcast where I, I field some questions. Some of them that I, I picked up are uh, more serious Cubs related questions. Some of them are kind of fun Cubs related questions. Some of them aren't related to the Cubs at all. Uh, that's totally cool. I'm, I'm, ha- I'm, I'm happy to answer uh, any questions that you guys send to me. So in the future, keep an eye out for that. If you enjoy these kinds of things or if you want to take part, uh, follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Cubs. You can I, I usually tweet it out so you can get on board with the uh, mailbag thing uh, by tweeting questions at me there. You can email questions at any time, and I can stockpile them for these podcasts. Uh, send them to uh, LockedOnCubs at gmail.com, or you can uh, track me down on my Twitter as well at Ryan Q. Davis. So let's go right into it in our first segment. Uh, Joseph Nardone asks, who is your favorite follow who has black hair writes about basketball used to work with you at fan rag sports and has the name joseph and the last name nardone well you really narrowed that down for me joe uh i'm gonna have to go with you since uh the i don't think i have any others there are no other joseph nardones that follow me that used to work with me at fan rag sports and also write about basketball with black hair i i mean i'm sure that there are probably people who have some of those attributes but not all of them together so You win this round, buddy. Second question comes from Patrick Mooney. And no, it is not that Patrick Mooney, but a different Patrick Mooney who follows the podcast. He asks, if the Cubs had to put out one of their big four high on-base power guys, being KB, Rizzo, Schwarber, or Contreras in the leadoff spot, who would it be? Now, I'm going to go ahead and take this question two different ways. The the first way is the literal, the way you asked it. Uh, if any of those guys had to be put in the leadoff spot, who would it be? And I think the first one that Joe Madden would rely on, assuming everybody were healthy and performing as they can, I think that he would go with Rizzo. That's who he's gone with the most in the past, minus the Schwarber experiment. But um, I, I feel like Rizzo would be the guy uh, that he would prefer to go with if he had to pick one of those. I, I like Contreras as a leadoff guy uh, when he's going right. 
uh, because he does have a great eye at the plate. Um, he focuses, I, th- I think, a little bit better when he has to really think about what he's doing up there and 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 game plan. So I think that putting him in the leadoff spot would make him a little more selective, make him think about his role at the plate a little bit more. So I, I like Contreras as the leadoff guy of, of that group. Uh, I also think Schwarber could do it, but I'm hesitant to put him there because I'm not totally convinced that some of his struggles last year weren't uh, from the pressure of being number one ahead of Bryant and Rizzo and Contreras. I, I feel like I'm not sure. I, I'm, I can't tell you 100%, but um, Jason Hayward talked about how when Atlanta used him as a leadoff guy, it kind of messed with him because he felt the pressure of being the leadoff guy. So I'm not convinced that Kyle Schwarber would have struggled no matter what. Uh, I still think there's a decent chance that batting leadoff got in his head. So I wouldn't mess with success at this point. He's doing really well, pretty much playing only against right-handed pitchers and batting down in the lineup. He's been outstanding with the bat. So uh, of that group, uh, obviously KB, I would want to put second pretty much every single day if possible. So of that group, I actually really like Wilson Contreras in the leadoff spot. But if I were to think who who would Joe Madden go to, I think Rizzo would be number one of that group. But good question. Jeff emails with this question. What is your take on Jeff Passan's notion that Chris Bryant isn't a superstar? Okay, I got to sit back on this one and, and really get into it because I feel like there's room for nuance here, but the most of this conversation has been taking place on Twitter where there is no room for nuance at all. Uh, on Twitter, Jeff Passan is a, uh, is a moron who has no idea what he's talking about. At least that's, that's the Twitter take on this. For, for me, the nuance take is I understand what he's saying. So I guess... Short answer is my take is Chris Bryan is obviously a superstar and it's kind of stupid to suggest otherwise. The long answer is what Jeff Passan's really saying is, yes, Chris Bryant should be a superstar, but the way he defines it is more related to uh, the way people perceive Bryant nationally or the way he's received nationally versus uh, anything that he can do on the field. So yes, Bryant has an MVP, he's won a World Series, he's fielded the final out of the World Series, he has uh, all these awards on his mantle, he's been to the postseason every year of his career, he's been to the NLCS every year of his career. Uh, What else could you say about the guy? He's uh, handsome, he's marketable, Uh, he is what he is. He is the the perfect specimen when you break down like what what a superstar should look like, a guy that's likable, um, you know, during the brawl with the Marlins, the quote-unquote benches clearing brawl, it was ended up being a benches clearing tickle fight because Chris Bryant went out and started tickling Starlin Castro. I mean, these are the things that you look for in your superstar, the guy that you know make, keeps things light. I mean, he does everything. He is he is an everything guy. So yes, he is a superstar. But what Passan is saying is that uh, is he received as one? nationally is this a guy that has uh recognizability in homes especially in homes where baseball isn't like a number one thing on tv all the time and i'm not sure he does and i think think that's more an indictment of major league baseball the way they market their superstars and i know that's been kind of a big talking point for a lot of people is that baseball doesn't market their stars as well as possible 
but I would I would go at Passon with this. Based on his criteria, if Bryant is not a superstar, I don't believe Mike Trout is either. And that would be also pretty ridiculous to say. But all the same things that exist for Bryant exist for Trout. Trout doesn't have the Bryce Harper style personality that's polarizing. Trout, sure, he has uh, MVPs and other awards on his mantle, but he, he hasn't really been to the postseason, I think, more than once. And he didn't have a lot of success there. He has no World Series rings. Uh, he doesn't have that uh, recognizability in homes in, you know, if you go to the average non-baseball fan and say, hey, who does Mike Trout play for? A lot of people won't even know who you're talking about. So uh, is he a superstar in that same respect? No, I don't think he is. So if you're going to punish Bryant for the way, you know, other people who receive him and punish him for the way baseball uh, doesn't market him well enough and and help him become a household name because he does everything else himself, right? Like he, he does everything else himself. You don't have to do a whole lot to market this guy. Uh, he, he brings you everything on a plate. You, all you have to do is, is get it out there, get it, get people seeing him. Um, but unfortunately baseball is just not great at that. And you could blame them for some of that. You could blame the style of game for some of that. You know, LeBron James is a good example of a player who can come take over a game every single night in a postseason. Uh, in baseball, it's so different. You know, you don't get the, uh, the LeBron James versus Kevin Durant matchups where they're just going at each other in the fourth quarter. You, you only bat a couple times a game. There can be innings where you don't appear, uh, a couple innings in a row where you don't appear sometimes. And, you know, Mike Trout could go 0 for 4 and be a total non-factor in a game. Or Chris Bryant could strike out four times. You know, these are things that happen in baseball. So um, it's a large conversation, much larger than the nuance that's been given to it on Twitter. Uh, but yes, I do believe Chris Bryant's a superstar in this game because uh, my definition of a superstar is that you have a certain few players that have... Uh, the, the greatness, the it factor, uh, the awards, the winning, you know, Bryant has the nice smile and the blue eyes. I mean, he, he just has, he has everything. So uh, there are only a few players that I would consider superstars, but he is definitely one of them. Now, if you ask me, is Anthony Rizzo a superstar? No, I, I would say probably not. However, I, I do think he's in that tier right underneath where if, you know, sure, his his production has been great over the course of his career, but if his production were to ratchet up just a little bit more, I think his visibility uh, and outspokenness in general with the media and on certain topics, I feel like that would vault him into the superstar category. Second segment. First question comes from Evan A., who asks... I love your writing. What is your advice for others who want to get into the industry? Well, I'm going to give you the advice that was given to me at one point, and that is don't get into this industry. It's a really awful industry. Uh, it, I, I would not suggest it for anybody. And the fact that I've survived as long as I have in the baseball writing industry totally floors me. I don't know how I've done it other than uh, like Cardinal Devil Magic. That, that's all I can come up with as to how I've survived. I, I know I, I, I don't want to be flipping about my own work because I do work hard and I do believe that I'm a good writer and I know what I'm talking about sometimes. But 
it's really hard. I, I've seen better writers than than me fail in this industry or give up in this industry. And, you know, uh, I'll tell you this, you don't make a lot of money. You have to call in a lot of favors sometimes. You know, I'll, I'll give you this example. Uh, I started out writing for CubsInsider.com back when it was on Chicago Now. And, you know, people read it, but it was, it was just a, a Cubs blog. That's all it was. And from there, I saw an ad on Twitter that a site called FanRag Sports that I had never heard of and nobody had ever heard of was hiring and paying for writers. So I applied and I got a, a job writing about NBA. I had never written about the NBA before. And I used some writing samples from Cubs Insider to apply for that NBA job. Now, Tommy Stokey, who you may know, does the Locked on MLB podcast. Uh, he saw my... NBA application. He was the director of content at FanRag at the time, and he helped me uh, start writing baseball for FanRag Sports as well. Now, from there, FanRag really took off. We uh, kind of reshaped and rebranded a, a few times uh, with the site and kind of adjusted. And then John Heyman came in, and John Parado, and all these other kind of bigger name people, Zach Harper of NBA, Bill Williamson with uh, NFL, it had all the all these people coming in really giving a lot of credibility to this site. And I was kind of along for the ride, just basically trying to become a better writer and become more visible. So that really helped vault me, uh, really just catching on at the right place at the right time and, and working hard and, and, you know, trying to be the best I could, which is really my advice for anyone with, with anything is, is work hard, find something you want to do and do it if you can. But uh, for example, while I was doing that, I was basically working a 40 hour a week uh, human resources job uh, for the state of Illinois. Uh, I was negotiating a contract, uh, an employment contract during that time. So I, I was going to school and finishing a degree during that time. So uh, I wasn't always writing full time. I was fortunate that a lot of that stuff led to another uh, a full time job in writing. Uh, where I do a lot of uh, entertainment stuff and get to do movie reviews and pre-screen movies and things like that. But um, I've been very fortunate and this industry eats, eats you alive. It, it'll chew you up and spit you out. Uh, and nothing, I have no better example of that than the fact that I lost my job at FanRag Sports after writing for them for three years. Uh, I started in 2015 in February and I was let go at the end of March of 2018. So um, that's a really great example of how brutal this industry can be. Now, I've landed on my feet because I don't rely on, I didn't rely on that income uh, to make ends meet. But, you know, it, it also has helped me. I, I got on with Sporting News because of my visibility from FanRag once John Heyman came on. Uh, from there, I've started writing for The Athletic, you know, here and there. Uh, so, uh, Tommy has helped me get uh, the position with uh, Chicago where I'm going to be writing uh, this year. So it, it really is a lot of kind of meeting people, making contacts um, and having some fortunate situations that have helped me uh, in this industry. And, and I don't want to ramble on about this too long, but uh, I do want to say I, I've been very lucky and I'm just going to ride this wave as long as I can. But uh, if you're wanting to get into the industry, anyone who has questions about that can email me. Uh, at Locked On Cubs, I'd be happy to discuss anything further or answer any more questions if I can. But uh, my best advice is uh, do this part time if you want to, uh, and and ride it out as far as you can. But you know, 
don't rely on on baseball writing to ever pay your bills because it really doesn't. Our own Kelly Wallace asks, who is your favorite player from any team that you've interviewed and why? I would probably say that my favorite player that I've interviewed is Sean Doolittle of the Washington Nationals. I did a piece on him for Sporting News last year, and I actually reached out first to his then fiance Aaron Dolan, because I wanted to do a piece on them as uh, you know, Sean had been traded. He came up in the Oakland A's organization, was with the A's prominently for a long time. He met, I think he met Aaron uh, during his time with the A's, and then he was traded. I think he had spent 10 years in the organization before he was eventually traded. Um, they sent him to the, to the Washington Nationals. So I wanted to do a story on a player getting traded after such a long time in one organization his entire career and the human aspect of being traded. So I interviewed uh, Sean about that, and he was really great. Uh, he spent a, maybe 15, 20 minutes sitting in front of his locker talking to me about um, you know, all the things that happened when he was traded away from Oakland and, and what Aaron had to do and how she was dealing with it. And then Aaron talked to me uh, via email for the story about uh, from her point of view, how she was handling it. it. It really came together. It was a good story and I enjoyed it quite a bit. So um, I would say that Sean, if you follow him on Twitter, you know what I'm talking about. He's an outgoing guy. He was exactly like that in person. Uh, he was very kind with his time and was just a great interview. So that that would be my answer to that question, Sean Doolittle. Kyle, I'm going to butcher this last name. I apologize. But Kyle Knuff asks, now that the Cubs have won the World Series, where does Game 3 of the 2003 NLCS rank as best Cubs wins ever? So I'll remind the listeners what that is. Game 3 of the 2003 NLCS was the one that the Cubs went into extra innings with the Marlins, and in the top of the 11th, Kenny Lofton hit a one-out single, and Doug Glanville tripled in the winning run. So I'll be honest with you, that was, what, uh, 15 years ago, so I was 17 years old. The Cubs blew a one-run lead in the bottom of the eighth. Joe Borowski, if I remember correctly, was on the mound. And at that point, I was so just anxious and terrified about the Cubs in the NLCS especially after losing game one the way they did. Um, the only time that I could remember the Cubs being in the postseason before that was 1998 when they were just so good down the stretch and I just believed in them so much and then they got swept by the Braves. So I just felt like losing was around every corner. And when they blew that lead, especially being in Miami, I didn't want to watch the Cubs lose in a walk-off and have to watch the Marlins celebrating on you know all the fans going nuts. So that was just turning my stomach. I ended up leaving and going over to a friend's house. Now, this was 2003, so technology was a bit different back then. So I had no idea they won until way after it happened. I came home and was probably uh, at home at uh, 1, 2 in the morning <laughs> trying to uh, find a highlight uh, of the game and what happened, trying to watch the little ticker on ESPN um, to see what had happened in the game. So... Um, that's what that was. That was that game. I don't think I specifically ranked it all that high personally, simply because maybe I'm biased because I never actually sat down and watched the end of it. But um, I'll go ahead and put it at number 10. I, I created my top 10 best Cubs postseason wins ever. 
Uh, I'm going to go ahead and put game three of the 2003 NLCS number 10. Number nine, I put game five of the 2017 NLDS. That was just a wild victory over the Nationals. I don't, I don't think I actually expected the Cubs to win that game, but they did. They pulled it off. I have no idea how <laughs> they they ended up beating the Nationals in that game. And um, man, what a what just a wild game coming up and getting those hits off Max Scherzer when he came in in relief. That was. That was huge. So I'm going to put, go ahead and put that on the list, uh, making it to their third straight NLCS with that victory. Uh, number eight, I actually have game four of the 2003 NLCS. Uh, that was the one where Aramis Ramirez hit the, the first inning grand slam that hooked just around the foul pole and then later hit another home run and had a two homer game against the Marlins, put the Cubs up three to one. Hard to go against that game. That was just a fun game. I watched that beginning to end, and you know, I, I remember feeling so much relief after Ramirez hit that grand slam. I, I, I thought, okay, that's it. And then we just coast the rest of the game, and then we go right into the World Series with a game five or game six win. But obviously it didn't happen that way. Number seven, I have game four of the 2015 NLDS. That, of course, was the... Uh, clinching victory over the Cardinals to send the Cubs to the NLCS for the first time since 2003. And just in general, beating the Cardinals in the postseasons is just a little extra sweet. Uh, number six, I have game two of the World Series in 2016. That was Jake Arrieta's first win in the World Series. It was the Cubs' first win in the World Series since 1945. Just a, a, a milestone. Uh, number five, I have game one of the NLCS in 2016. John Lester started at Kenta Maeda and Bobby Baez's steal of home. Uh, Arodis Chapman came in to get out of a jam, I think, but he gave up a run that tied the game. And then Miggy Montero hit the grand slam. Uh, what a big game. I was in the bleachers for that one. Just a whole lot of fun. Number four, I have game five of the World Series in 2016. That was another big game for Chapman. Came in, I think he pitched two and a third or two and thir two thirds innings and, uh, you know, preserved a three to two lead. So big game. Uh, number three, I have game six of the 2016 World Series. That was a blowout, but Jake Arrieta, you know, came out, pitches a, a fantastic game, uh, struck, struck out a bunch of batters. Joe pulled him super early, but you know, whatever, um, just an excellent victory and, and one that was obviously extremely necessary to get it to game seven. At number two, I have game six of the 2016 NLCS. That was the Kyle Hendricks game where he outdueled Clayton Kershaw. Just one of my favorite all-time games to watch. Now, game seven still puts pit, a pit in my stomach, but uh, it felt like the Cubs were in complete control of game six of the NLCS just from beginning to end starting with the Dexter Fowler double and then um, the ball that uh, who was it tolls couldn't catch in left field. Uh, it, it was just uh, always in control. Uh, Kyle Hendricks just, you know, absolutely slaughtered the Dodgers on that game. I feel like he probably could have pitched the full eight or nine uh, if Joe Madden had just let him do it. But uh, I think the Cubs won what five to nothing. It, it was just an outstanding game and, and one of my favorite all time. And then finally, number one, what could it be anything else? Uh, game seven of the 2016 World Series. How could anyone choose anything other than game seven as the greatest Cubs victory of all time? Let's take a look around the NL Central for our final segment. 
the Pirates and the Cubs were both off on Thursday, but the Brewers played the Colorado Rockies and beat them 5-2. to two. Lorenzo Cain had a leadoff homer. Milwaukee scored three in the fifth inning, and Jeremy Jeffress picked up his third stri- save by striking out the side in the ninth. Miles Michaelis went six and two-thirds innings for the Cardinals, allowing one run in a 2-1 victory. Tommy Pham hit his sixth home run of the season for the Cardinals. And the Reds beat the Dodgers 4-1. Scooter Jeanette went three for four with a homer. And our old friend Dylan Floro, if you remember him, pitched an inning for Cincinnati and now has a 0.64 ERA in 14 innings with 14 strikeouts. So here are the updated NL Central standings. The Cardinals are still alone in first place at 21-14 and 14 on the season. The Brewers are still right behind at a half game back at 22-16. and 16. The Pirates are 21-16, and 16, one game back of first. The Cubs are still 19-15, and 15, now one and a half games back. And the Reds are 11 and a half games back at 11-27, and 27, but they have a three-game winning streak. Here are the matchups for today's games. Chatwood and Fulmer and the Cubs versus the Sox at 120. Uh, the Pirates take on the Giants at home at 6.05 p.m. Central with Jamison Tyon against Andrew Soares. The Brewers and Rockies continue their series at 7.40 p.m. That's Brandon Woodruff against Chad Bettis. Uh, the Reds and the Dodgers play at 9.10 p.m. in cent- uh, Central Time in Los Angeles. Matt Harvey making his Reds debut against Kenta Maeda. And the Cardinals also play at 9.10 p.m. on the West Coast. Uh, with Luke Weaver taking on Eric Lauer of the Padres. So that's it, guys. Uh, Thanks again for listening to this uh, mailbag episode of the podcast. I really enjoy doing these, so if you really enjoy hearing them, uh, send me questions that I can answer for you. Uh, It could be Cubs-related, could be not Cubs-related. It could be really about anything. So, uh, again, you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnCubs. You can follow me at Ryan Q. Davis. You can follow, uh, or you can email Uh, the podcast at lockedoncubs at gmail.com and thanks again for listening i will talk to you guys next monday when we hopefully are talking about a six game winning streak for the cubbies